0: Welcome once again to No Apology with the Bible Idiots podcast. We are so glad that you're here. It's Friday, a very special Friday. It's Good Friday. And being Holy Week, we are going to be bringing you on this Friday another long-form teaching because, yeah, it's that important. It's such a poignant... Uh, week that we celebrate as we look forward to easter and so today uh chris is going to be taking us on a journey of shutting down the shouting he's going to take us to the book of luke mark and john because in all those gospels they give an account of the crucifixion and the resurrection of jesus christ so now here is pastor chris with shutting down the shouting
1: i don't know if you ever thought about it but the life of our Lord Jesus is just marked with contrast. And in the beginning of his ministry, he operated kind of in obscurity, and he, he liked that. You could just see it come off the pages of Scripture. However, as news of his power and his claims to be the Messiah spread, people began to flock around him. And they were drawn by the excitement of his miracles and the uniqueness of his preaching. And the second year of his earthly ministry, Jesus had crowds that were thronging around him. People were everywhere he traveled. And there would be times where Jesus would have to just get away just to kind of clear his head. And the crowds were with him and they started to thin out a little bit when he started preaching the extremeness of real commitment. Remember in John chapter 6. But by the time Jesus reached the end of his ministry, the crowds were really comprised of those who were committed to following him. Now, You need to understand that not all of the crowds that were around Jesus were his supporters. A lot of them were always, like, not in favor of what he was doing. They were just mesmerized by this guy who could do miracles and said he was the Messiah. So they were there to simply criticize him, to simply test him. They were not on his side. I mean, think about it. They did not, some of them, like his teaching at all. In fact, one of them was named Judas. Do I need to say anything else? See, remember that the crowd is fickle. Never allow anyone to force you to just be part of a crowd just to be part of a crowd. You need to be man enough, woman enough to be able to make your own decisions because it's a personal relationship with Jesus at the end of the day, is it not? See, when Jesus reached the last week of his life on earth, the crowds are still there. But the one thing that just really hits me is that the crowds surrounding during the last week of Jesus' ministry there was just a whole lot of shouting going on. Every time you turned around, somebody's crying out, somebody's shouting this, somebody's shouting that. So we're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at three things this morning around the events where the shouting at the presence of the Lord, and they all lead up to when the shouting stops. And so let's look together at shutting down the shouting. And how did that go down? Point number one in your notes today. The crowds shouted at his entrance. It is Palm Sunday after all. The crowds shouted at his entrance. Megan read the version from Matthew 21. I'm going to read Luke 19, 29 through 40. By the way, there's three different texts today. We're going to get through all of them. But let's go with Luke 29, verse 40. Let's pick it up, verse 29. Here we go. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on the colt. They set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on his way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, "'Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest.'" And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So let's get the context. Why all the excitement? Because a dude's riding on a donkey? I don't think so. See, Jesus the man, Jesus the messenger, and Jesus the Messiah all show up right here. They had experienced the excitement of Jesus the man. They had watched this guy who was known as the Nazarene who had miracles and powers, and they'd seen him demonstrate this. And some in the crowd were genuine in their love for them. Some in the crowd were genuine. Some were just there because of what they'd seen him do. It was just incredible to them. See, people are interested in Jesus sometimes for what they've seen and you can get caught up in wanting the miracles and the excitement. And just because they love the miracles does not mean they're saved. Keep that in mind. In the messenger of Jesus they had experienced enlightenment. Some were shouting because of the radical teachings they had heard Jesus giving out. He was different than all the rest and they were drawn to that. There's still a crowd that'll flock to the unusual. Folks can hear someone who's a little different, and they act like they've heard an angel speaking to them. People can be attracted to the unusual. Just because, part two. Just because they love the message does not mean they're saved. But Jesus is coming here as the Messiah. They had experienced this expectation. Today is Palm Sunday, the day we commemorate the Lord's triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago. And for the disciples of Jesus, this is a time of great excitement and joy. They are fired up. But for our Lord, it was a day of disappointment and heartbreak. You see, this was the day that Jesus made it clear to everyone who he was. Sometimes Jesus makes it clear to us and leaves us with no excuse. This was one of the moments in Scripture. No doubt what he's saying to these people. All through his life and public ministry, Jesus had proven himself to be the Messiah. He had fulfilled the prophecies, performed the miracles. He had told the Jews repeatedly that he was the Savior that they were anticipating. However, they had steadfastly, they had set their face to refuse to believe his claims. And this was a day and a moment in Scripture, if you've never been taught this, listen. This is the moment when Jesus drew the line in the sand. We're throwing down right now, ladies and gentlemen. Get me the donkey and bring it to me. Because we're going to tell everybody what's what. He had no doubt in his mind what he was doing. And the people had no doubt what he was saying. When he appeared on a donkey riding down from the Mount of Olives, he was revealing himself as the Messiah to Israel. He was saying, I'm he. Let's do this. See, at this great event, you'll notice that the multitudes are sh- shouting. They're lifting their voices to the Lord. They, they know what's going on. Now, some of them have the understanding that he's going to deliver them from the, from the Romans that he's going to be this big military leader. So they cheer him and shout praises to God because of him. See, they missed the entire significance of this event. Many of them there did. Not all, but many. It's true because Jesus came fulfilling the prophecy of the prophet in Zechariah 9.9. In Zechariah 9.9, in that day, in that era, that would have been like our John 3.16. How do we know when the Messiah is going to come? He's going to come riding on a colt down from the Mount of Olives. Read Zechariah 9.9 with me. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He did this to force the hands of the Jewish leaders. They had planned to kill Jesus after the Passover. But Jesus had come into Jerusalem for the sole purpose of going to Calvary. And and these people kind of miss it all. There's just a whole group of folks that just miss it. He's headed to the cross. It's the sole purpose for his existence, Isaiah 50, John 18, Matthew 16. And just because part three, just because someone thinks he's the Messiah, does not mean that they're saved. So there are many now who have enjoyed the miracles, the, the message of the Messiah of the church, but they miss the fact that salvation does not come through anything else other than a personal commitment, salvation, and relationship with Jesus Christ. See, as we put this into context for our world today in 2021, let me just share with you, Jesus did not come to heal you. He did not come to feed you, to bless you, to teach you, or to fulfill a bunch of dusty old prophecies for the people of Israel so that we we could see him. He came to give us eternal life. He came to save us and have a personal relationship with us. And some of those other byproduct benefits are wonderful, but that's not what his whole thing is. He's come to save you and me because we're sinful and can't save ourselves. See, He came, Jesus came, he's riding on this donkey to force the hands of the Jewish leaders to crucify him early at the Passover, in line with Scripture. It's amazing. Because Jesus came for the whole purpose of dying for the sins of man on, on the cross. He came to be the Savior of the world, and until you know him in that relationship, you really don't know him. They shouted at his entrance in Jerusalem, but they didn't understand the whole story. Those who know him, we know, those of us, that there is a bigger reason to shout and praise his name. Under no other name can we be saved other than Jesus Christ, the King. They know he's worthy of honor and praise. And and those of us who know him, it's hard for us to stop praising and glorifying his name whether it's a quiet time in prayer, or whether we're singing a praise song. Now, I don't know about you, but I got up to let the dogs out today, and as I went outside, I just got blasted with one of the most glorious mornings in my Kansas time. Wasn't it great today? Sun coming up. just It was just beautiful. And in that moment, all I could think of was this message I'm about to deliver today, thinking how awesome Jesus is that he would save a loser like me. So point number one, the crowd shouted at his entrance. Point number two, the crowds shout at his examination. The crowd shouted at his examination. Skip ahead a little bit in the week to John 19, verses 13 through 16. He's standing with Pilate. Now, the gospel parallels here are amazing when you take Palm Sunday all the way through the resurrection because it's all told just a little bit different in the four gospels. But I'm going to use John 19, 13 through 16 here and read with me, picking it up, verse 13. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement in an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief, answered, the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Ah, ouch. Verse 16, So he delivered him over to them to be crucified, and so they took Jesus. Get the context now. He rides in on a donkey, I am your Messiah. During the week, he doesn't overthrow Rome like they wanted him to, a lot of them. And now they're there shouting out. The words cry out literally mean to scream or to demand something be done with red face. This crowd is whipped into a frenzy that nothing but the death of this dude will satisfy to them. Now, how many do you think were in that same crowd the previous Sunday when he rode down on the donkey? Bunch, probably. Some say the majority. Can't tell you for sure. But the crowd is fickle. When this man who they thought was the Messiah, they shouted for him as if he was their king, and now they look at him as if he's an imposter. That is why we find these people who were crying out for the king of Jerusalem now want this guy eliminated. He's not going to do what we want him to do. I want him gone. Sound like any relationships people that you know might have had with Jesus? Or how about yourself? I know I've had a relationship with Jesus when I was a younger man where it was like, You ain't going to show up and handle this for me. I think we're going to have to step off. How arrogant. And pathetic of a thought that was. How many times I've reflected back on my attitude in those days. And it's almost like repentance ain't enough. And God comes to me and says, no, it's enough. I've forgiven you. And we can move on. Maybe you have something like that in your life. But why the sudden change in these folks? They considered him an imposter. You know, he did not overthrow Rome, that's obvious. That was the Jewish expectation, some of the Jewish expectation concerning the Messiah, but they considered him an instigator. He denied their rulers. Jesus did not cow down under the authority of the priests and the scribes. He possessed an authority that was far greater than any they hoped to have. And so there was his immediate enemy right now. If he's not going to overthrow Rome, if he's not going to submit to our authority, then the scribes and the Pharisees, they go ahead and they start whipping these people into into a frenzy. He's an imposter. He's an instigator. He's an intruder. He spoke against the religion. He claimed to be God. He's blasphemous. We need to get rid of him. And they cry out. They shout. Now, whether you know it or not, Jesus is on trial in your heart this week. It's Holy Week. You're here in this building. He's on trial in your heart today. Either you are in his corner and you're one of those who uh, lifts their voice to praise him, or you're one of those who lift your voice against him. You cannot have it both ways. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30, either you're with me or you're against me. It's pretty simple. And if you are one of those who are not yet yielded to the Lord by trusting Jesus for your salvation, you're in a crowd that cries out against him in your own way. Ever think about that? So which side of the issue are you going to land on? What is your verdict concerning Jesus? Well, Let's go on to the last point today crowd shouted at his entrance, one, two, they they shouted at his examination, and then three, the crowd shouted at his execution. This is the one that's heartbreaking when you put yourself into first century Jerusalem and you walk amongst the other believers. It's, It's horrible until you realize what's going down. They shouted at his execution. Let's take a look at Mark 15, 25 through 37. It's a little bit longer run here, so stay with me. Mark 15, picking it up in verse 25. Here we go. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. If you were here for the movie on Friday night, they kind of gloss over that point. It's a Hollywood movie. It's a good movie about a Roman soldier who's, 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 who's contemplating the resurrection and what happened, and I thought it was very well done. But there were some major scriptural inaccuracies because after the cross, before the resurrection, there was a panic across the land that they had tried to kill the Son of God and what would happen next. And the Jews were in a panic. The, 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 the authorities of the Jews were in a panic because they were about to lose their prime position if he really was the Son of God. The temple had been torn in two. There was an earthquake. it was dark. This stuff was going down. In the context, the horrors of Jesus' death ignites the Lamb of God in our hearts, and we see that He came to be the sacrificial lamb of the world. And in that, as he's hanging on the cross, as he's doing what He came to do, there's confusion. And people are yelling at him. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. They falsely accused him. And they even walked by and wagged their heads at him. And I'm telling you right now, if I was the son of God, it would have been all I could do not to come down off the cross, rip the chief priest's arms from his socket and beat him with it. Maybe it's just me, but that's how I feel when I read this. I'm just, ugh. And then the grace of Jesus comes over my soul. And I realized that that is not the way of a Christian. And the love that Jesus showed, the compassion that he showed from the cross to those people had to be so palatable that it impacted those who were standing there. Why do I say that? Because both of the criminals on either side of him were mocking him right along with them during this time, but one of them had a change of heart before he died. Think of that. Had a change of heart before he died realized he was the son of God and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? Step off? No, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. And when you put it into that context that today, if we're standing in front of Jesus in 15 minutes, today we're going to stand with him in paradise, we can let a lot of that mocking go, can't we? It can just slide off our back and it doesn't matter. If you haven't picked up on this, let me be the first to tell you, we're living in really dark, weird times right now. But with Jesus Christ, we can let it slide off. And we can show love when we should show angst. I can't do that in my own strength. I wasn't built that way. didn't grow up that way. But with the love of Jesus Christ in my life, I can shut down the shouting in my heart. And I can just let Jesus live free through me in ways that I never saw before. And I start loving people in ways I didn't love before. And I start looking at the chief priest, and, I, and my heart breaks for him. And I, now I don't want to come down off the cross and beat him with his own arms. Sorry for the visual. That's just <laughs> it's where I am, you know, so... But when you look at this and you can see Jesus love them through just the most bitter hatred. Uh, you know What they did was the equivalent of like elementary school kids who are just so mad at each other, they stick their tongues out at each other with just contempt. They wanted Jesus dead and they wanted his teachings to die with him because he said he was the Messiah. Yeah, he did all these cool things, but he didn't do what we think he should have done. Sidebar, how many of us have been disappointed in Jesus that we didn't have the America in 2021 that we thought we might have been able to have? He didn't do what we thought he was supposed to do. See, we can also misunderstand much. And when things don't go our way, We can then go back to scripture, go back to maturity, go back to growing closer. uh, I'm sorry, growing stronger in the Lord. We're already as close to Jesus as we're going to be if we're saved. And we can then overcome in our hearts and in our minds as we go forward. And what happens then? We start loving others that we didn't have the love for before. The anger melts away. You can look here and you can say, why all the anger? Because they misunderstood. They misunderstood Jesus' mission. They misunderstood his message, and they misunderstood his methods, his mission. They were looking for a man to overthrow Rome. They were looking for a revolutionary. The revolution happened. Jesus did what he was supposed to do. They were so looking for a Messiah that would usher in the kingdom of their world that they forgot that the whole passage of Isaiah 53, the whole passage is clear that the Messiah must die for the people. And that the revolution that has happened is that we now have victory over death, hell, and the grave for eternity. It's amazing. People still miss it today. People still look at Jesus to be what they want him to be, not what he actually is. Just for the record, Jesus did not come to be an example. Jesus did not come to be a teacher. He did not come to just communicate truth. He did not come as a social reformer. He did not come to try to lift the standard of living for the people. No. Jesus Christ came to this world as the way, the truth, and the life. He came for one purpose and one purpose only. Jesus Christ came to this world to die. Jesus summed up his mission in one statement in Luke 19, verse 10. In Luke 19, verse 10, he says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Has he fulfilled that mission in your life? They misapplied the scriptures back then. When Jesus came into the world, he came to a nation that was very religious. They knew the word of God. They knew uh, they knew they that there would be a coming of the Messiah, and in all their scriptures, they totally missed Jesus. You know, when people are debating the end times and the rapture, this and the rapture that, and and the second coming here and there, I always point back to this: if the Jews could miss the Messiah, are, are we so arrogant to think that we can't misinterpret some of the scriptures? Now, I don't get into debates about the rapture, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pan-trib. You know what pan-trib is? Pan-trib is it'll all pan out anyway. (laughs) I will tell you this, that Jesus is going to work it out. And if I keep my eyes focused on Jesus, there's a peace that comes into my life, and I'm okay with how it works out in the end times. Now, i study prophecy. I've studied prophecy for over 20 years. And... I was talking to a friend of mine this week who I'd love to bring here to to share with you some stuff. He's a creation speaker. And he said, you know, Chris, I'm a pre-tribulation rapturist, but if he doesn't hurry up and show up, I might become a (laughs) mid-trib. If you're watching the news, yeah, yeah, I, I get it. But here's my problem. People take their eyes off of Jesus and they start looking at a rapture and their salvation's in a rapture. That's stupid. Your salvation is in Jesus who came to die on the cross. And then, then what happened? Uh, when Jesus saw that the Messiah wouldn't do the things that they expected, when, when, when they totally missed it, then the cross becomes a stumbling block to them. God's teaching his people that an innocent, innocent sacrifice, all throughout scriptures, he's teaching that sacrifice had to take away the sins of those who were guilty. That's salvation history through the, Mos- you know, through the Levites, through Moses, through all the animal sacrifices. You know, the scapegoat, you ever heard of the term scapegoat? I mean, it's all there, and Jesus has come to fulfill all that. But when they saw Jesus on the cross dying, they were done with him. And the cross became their greatest stumbling block. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 lays it out for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, let's pick it up in verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who was wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Since in the wisdom of God, for since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand a sign, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles but to those who are called, both Jew and Gentile, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. See, the cross becomes this great stumbling block. And it still is for many people. So the question for us as, as Americans is, where do we stand in regard to the cross? Again, I'll tell you again, Jesus, the teacher, cannot save you. Jesus, the miracle worker, cannot save you. Jesus, the good example, WWJD, cannot save you. However, Jesus, the sinless Lamb of God, who shed his blood on the old rugged cross, can save you. It took the death of Christ to open up the way to God. It took the shedding of his blood to wash away man's sin. And if you've never come under that crimson blood this morning, maybe your day. Have you received Jesus and his death on the cross as atonement for your sins? Are you saved today? See, they missed God's methods. They expected a king and got a savior. Jesus truly came to set them free, but not like they thought he would. And I use this phrase a lot, but I'm, I'm going to hit you with it again. If we're standing in front of Jesus in 15 minutes, how important is fill in the blank? Everybody's got a blank. My blank changes day by day. Today, I'm struggling with whether I'm going to be able to afford to do this thing that popped up. Or for whatever reason, I can't sleep. I don't know why. I have not had more than five hours of sleep in a row in like two weeks. I used to use the stand-up comedy line, uh, you know, I know what you're thinking. I look just like Guy Fieri after a fiery car crash, you know. Now it's like I look like Guy Fieri's brother after a sleep deprivation study, you know. It's, it, it's, it's a blank. Emily's broken leg over 100 days ago, Still struggling. If we're standing in front of Jesus in 15 minutes, how important is, you got yours. Everybody's got theirs. See, that's why the Bible says daily in keeping with repentance, his mercies are renewed each morning. The sun comes up again tomorrow. Don't let the sun set on your anger and wrath and you're blank. Give it to Jesus. Understand God's methods jesus accomplished more than any conqueror in history he defeated the most persistent and terrible of man's enemies death sin satan hell eternity if these people had just understand that the message of god that they were watching unfold in front of them they would have not been reviling against this person this God that's, that hung on the cross, they would have been rejoicing. They'd have been shouting for victory, knowing that their sin debt was forever being settled on that cross. And they didn't get it then, and many in the world do not get it now. If we're standing in front of Jesus in 15 minutes, those of us, for no other reason other than the fact that we submitted to Jesus Christ at the foot of the cross and said, I am a sinful person who cannot save myself. Even the very best I can do is like filthy rags. And Jesus then presents us in front of a holy God as if we've never sinned, as if we're perfect for eternity. But I'm going to argue with you about this, that, or the other thing. I'm going to spend some time just saying, you know, did God really say that? Can I interpret the scripture this way? And whatever. Look, peeps, don't let people deceive you. Don't let words written deceive you. There is a deceiver out there right now that is trying to do anything and everything he can through the emergent church, through this teaching, through that teaching. And it all comes back to Satan in the garden saying, did God really say, did God really say, are you really saved? You know, maybe, you know, like Rob Bell, there is no hell. <laughs> yeah, Rob, step off. You don't know what you're talking about. The Bible's true and we're going to hold on to it with everything we have. Well, you know, the, the Bible was written by, by men Can you really trust the Bible? It's just a book of fairy tales. No, it's not. And I know it's not because I've spent time with it and the Bible shows itself to be true, just like God reveals himself in nature. You can't deny it. When you come face to face with our own sinfulness and our own need of a Savior, and you look at Jesus Christ on the cross, and you confess your sins and you cry out for salvation, God will show up in your life. Have you done that? Let me, let me conclude, bring it home today. That terrible day ended. The lifeless body of Jesus hung dead on the cross. The blood that poured out with the water, it's just churning at his feet. And the awful death he endured on the cross was mercifully over. Two other men were also dead. There's silence now as the crowd slowly leaves this wretched scene and heads to their home. There's no shouting now. No, no, no. The shouting stopped because the object of their anger was dead. See, those people on the hillside had known what we know this morning. They would have not been silent. They would have been shouting for victory. If they could have just seen that in the fact three days later, the one they had watched die would rise from the dead and conquer death, hell, and the grave. They would have bowed before him in humble submission and left that hillside shouting with victory. Now, before I finish, let me tell you one thing. Yes, the shouting stopped the day Jesus died. His enemy stopped because the object of their hatred was dead. And even his followers lost their shout because the object of their affection was dead. But let me remind you, there came a day that we're going to celebrate next Sunday. It happened just three days later when the shouting started up again. And I'm not here today to pronounce a dead Savior. I'm here to tell you about a Savior who died on the cross, who rose again from the dead. And I'm telling you this one, who is the way, the truth, and the life, is alive forever, and he's to provide you with salvation. Right now, I don't want to think about my granddaughters. I don't want to think about my children. I don't want to think about you, the sheep that God has asked me to shepherd. I, want to think about, I don't want to think about Emily. I want to think just about my need of a Savior, and I want you to do the same. This message isn't for others. It's for you. It's for me. Are we trusting Jesus? Have we given our lives to Jesus? There's a great dichotomy in Scripture. To live, you have to die. You come to the foot of the cross, and I, and, and I call it being crushed into powder. And out of that, Jesus builds you back up again through the resurrection. Because we can bring nothing. If you do not know Jesus, the altar's available for you. There are people here that will come and pray with you. We call it the life of Pi. I'll be here to pray with you, talk with you, and share with you. There is nothing greater in your life or in mine as we block out everything and have a moment of selfishness, a moment of self-reflection where we know that our sins are forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross and the resurrection. And from there, we can then start impacting our circle going out. Make sense? Many of you in this room are saved. Let this be a week of strengthening that faith. Like I said before, once we're saved, we're as close to Jesus as we're ever going to get. But we can grow stronger in our love and in our sanctification and in, our, in, our, in, 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 in seeing God's glory work through us. And if you're not saved today... Why? Do you not know your sin? It's there. You know it. And now we got a Savior who will take it from you if you just come and give it to Him. Transfer that trust. No longer is it my effort, it's always going to be Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we are glad you're here with us today. Lord, as you have this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, let it be a triumph of entry into Lifehouse Church for this holy week. There's such great spiritual maturity here. And there's also folks that just need to grow in you, who know you, who have submitted to you. And they just need to grow and let... This just be one of those times where the sun shines this week on this church. And Creator, King, and Counselor, come to those who are yet to have their eyes open, to have the scales fall off, to have their ears open, to be soundly saved through what you and you alone can do, Jesus. Bring them to yourself. Call them to yourself. Get rid of any obstacles they may have as they come to you today. Lord, we just ask that your name, the name of Jesus, be glorified now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.
0: Thanks for tuning into our Sunday message. To donate, request prayer, or to contact Pastor Chris, you can write to Lifehouse Church at P.O. Box 661, Abilene, Kansas 67410, or go online at Lifehouse Church. On behalf of the entire congregation, thanks again for your support.